Hey, good morning, Linworth. Let's go ahead and stand. And I uh, just want to wish a special happy Mother's Day to uh, all the awesome moms in here this morning. Um, hope you feel loved and appreciated today. Yeah. And hope you guys, uh, guys, hope you gals get a chance to rest uh, at some point today. So let's lift our voices to the Lord.
Sorry, guys. <laughs> if anybody knows me, this means I'm getting a new guitar next week. And I
Spirit, we invite your presence. We, we do ask that you would lead us in faith into places that are unknown. That you would be the comforter to those who need comfort. That you would be the teacher as we open your word today. Spirit, we want you. We want more of you. We want, we want to magnify the name of Jesus in the way that only you can. And so we just ask that you would come, that you would uh, anoint our lips with praise, that you would open our hearts to, to hear and see and know truth, that you would soften us, that you would come. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Um, Y'all can take a seat. If you have your kiddos in here, you can take them to their classrooms. Actually, before you take a seat, why don't you turn to someone next to you and say hello and good morning. Right. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Limworth Road Church. We're so glad you are able to join us this morning. I also want to say good morning and hello to those of you who are joining us online. Um, as a reminder, you can follow along with the announcements here and also get some sermon notes and the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, if you don't have it, download the YouVersion Bible app, go to events, look for Limworth Road Church, and you'll be able to find all of that information there. Um, for those of you who are new or who are visiting with us this morning, you know, welcome, thank you for being here. Um, if you could reach in front of you and grab what we call a connect card and just begin to fill that out with some basic information. And if this is your first time here, be sure to mark the box that says first time uh, visitor on the front. And uh, as well, on your way out today, stop by our welcome desk. We have a gift bag we'd like to give you as a way to say thank you for joining us today. Um, it's got some information about the church along with uh, a few other goodies in it as well. Um, and then for all of us, uh, don't forget, if you have any prayer requests, um, you can fill that out on the Connect card, and the pastors and staff pray through those each week, and, and all these cards can just be uh, dropped off at our welcome uh, desk or in the offering boxes that are out in the lobby. Well, we do have a few announcements here this morning. Um, the first is, is that at the end of the month, on May 29th, we're going to have uh, what we call a celebration service. So every time there are five Sundays in a month, um, which happens about four times a year, uh, we as a community take time to stop, uh, to pause, and to reflect on all that God has been doing uh, in and through us as a church community. And so as part of that, we'll do our baby dedications, we'll do baptisms, uh, we'll have some testimony stories from, from uh, people here in our church. And uh, so with that, if, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you've taken that step to, uh, to, to trust him, um, but have not been baptized, then we just want to encourage you to take that next step. Uh, you know, Jesus, in uh, some of his last words before he left earth, he uh, commanded us to be baptized. And so we would encourage you to do that. Uh, you can write baptism on this Connect card, or you can uh, email our office at office at limerthroadchurch.com, and uh, someone will get in contact with you and follow up on that. Um, lastly here, we, 
we have some, uh, some LRC news or uh, some FYIs that we wanted to share with you. Um, there's been quite a few things happening here um, and just wanted to give you a couple updates. Um, first, we are uh, very excited to announce that um, we have hired Aaron Hendricks as our new women's director. Um, you can clap for that. Now we are, uh, her, her new title will be Women's uh, Spiritual Formation Director. And as part of that is to reflect a renewed emphasis uh, and a little bit of a tweak in the role to focus on discipleship and the development of uh, women in our church. And so, you know, pray for her, encourage her um, as she embraces this new uh, responsibility here. Um, next Sunday, we're gonna do a, a special commissioning uh, prayer with the, with the pastors and with Aaron. And so be sure to, to make it out for that. Um, next, um, as you know, for a, a little while now, we've been uh, searching for a new worship director um, to replace uh, Pastor Nick. And uh, it's been a long process. We've interviewed quite a few uh, people. Um, until recently, it hadn't been very promising. Um, but actually, we are right now in the final stages uh, of the interview process with a candidate here. Um, his name is Caleb. Um, and he is going to, uh, he's actually from the Columbus area. And he's actually from one of our sister churches. And so um, next week, next Sunday, he's going to co-lead with David Root. And uh, so we just want to encourage you to welcome him, uh, to be nice. Don't, don't scare him away, please. We're begging you. Um, no, just kidding. Yeah, he is a, he's a young man. Um, he's very, uh, we're very excited about him. And again, we're not quite, it hasn't, it's not official yet, but, but we are in those latter stages of the process with him. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, is that uh, Nick, Pastor Nick has been leading here and serving us for over 10 years now. And, and even though he's not technically going away, he's still gonna be one of our pastor's elders. Um, he is not gonna be on staff anymore and, and will not be uh, obviously leading like he has been. And so um, it's gonna be a significant change in the life of our church. And uh, it, I think there'll be a process of it being, being hard for, for many of us. Um, and so anyway, that's, that's where we're at with that. Again, would encourage you to uh, try to meet Caleb next week. Be nice to him. Uh, again, please don't scare him away. Um, and so that's where we're at with that process. And then uh, again, lastly, um, as a church here, we've had a practice of releasing our staff pastors every five years to take a sabbatical. Um, I was very blessed to be able to take one last fall, which I was very grateful for. And uh, this summer, now Pastor Chris is due for one. And so we just wanted to give you a heads up on that beginning from Memorial Day through uh, the, the week after July 4th, he will be on a sabbatical. And so we won't see him, um, but it'll be good for him to rest and, and get some time away to study. And so just wanted to let you know about that. And then, uh, you know, as, as Nick said, as he was leading, happy Mother's Day to all you moms. Um, yes, let's clap for our moms. Um, we know that uh, today is a, a day to celebrate and to, to celebrate our moms, but we also know that today can be hard for, for many of us. Um, we know, particularly in our church, we've, we've had a lot of people lose parents in the last couple years, and so maybe you've lost your mom recently, or maybe it's been a while, but it's still uh, very difficult. And, uh, or there's ones in our church who desire to be a mom and have not been able to do so. And so 
Um, again, we know that today comes with some mixed emotions, but I do want to, before Pastor Rich comes up to keep us going in the book of Titus, I want to just take a minute and pray for our moms. And so um, if you're near a mom and you feel comfortable, and if the mom feels comfortable, uh, maybe stretch your hand out towards them, or you can lay hands on them while I pray for them here. Well, Father, we do want to lift up uh, just all the women in our church today. God, we do, uh, we're so thankful for the role of mothers in our life. Lord, what a, what a precious thing uh, this, this, this thing we call family is. And it can be used for so much good, Lord. And we're so thankful for the roles that each of our moms played in our lives. We know uh, that maybe for some it was not uh, all that they wished it would have been. And for others, it has been such a great blessing. And so, Father, we lift up uh, just our, our church to you today. We thank you for the moms. We ask you bless them. God, give them uh, all the grace that they need. I pray you would, you would cause all grace to abound to them so that they can fulfill this calling and this role that you've placed on their life, Lord. And for those uh, who are maybe grieving today as they... Uh, wrestle with, with the desire to become a mom that has not been fully realized, or for those who have lost their moms, I pray you would also cause all grace to abound to them, and that you would meet them. Holy Spirit, you'd come, and you would comfort and bring peace. And so we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, good morning, folks. How's Linworth doing today? I see that you guys prayed in some nice weather for moms today. Very, very nice of you to do that. Um, I just wanted to say, um, happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy may the fourth be with you. And that's what we're celebrating today, right? Right, no, no happy Mother's Day, you know, from my heart to, your, to yours. And uh, we love you moms, and uh, we hope you have a blessed and encouraging day here, so. Um, I also want to say good morning to those of you that are uh, watching online this morning and hope you enjoy your time. You know, we're in Titus chapter 2. We just kind of finished up chapter 1. In verse 16 in chapter 1, the last verse there, Titus says that they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And so as we learned from last week, message that uh, Pastor Nick gave, Titus is dealing with this infiltration of false teachers which are promising to derail this young uh, church and the gospel in Crete. And these false teachers were bringing the world into the church and it was confusing them. And there was things going on that they were trying to understand. And so um, they were giving the world a false picture of what the transforming power of Jesus was in their lives. In other words, the gospel message was being compromised in this church. And so with the culture invading the church, the church was getting a bad reputation, it, and it wasn't any different uh, than the world around them. And so we know that there was transformation taking place, but this was going on so much so that it was uh, impacting them and confusing them. And the saints were trying, but they weren't getting movement there. And so Paul needed to speak into this situation. They were being taken advantage of. And so to confront this, Paul gives Titus and the church instruction to not only counter the false teachers, but to produce a healthy church community that is to be different than the culture around them. And you know, a part of the witness of the gospel is changed lives, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so we were supposed to be, the church is seeing changes in their lives. And so I believe that was happening, but it was getting stalled. And so um, how we live is a reflection on what we believe. And if we are Christians, then our life should reflect Christ. It should reflect the gospel. We should act and we should look different to the world. The church should look different than the world around them. And so what was happening in Crete in certain ways is not a lot different than what happens today, right, in our society. We see uh, the world pressing into the church. We see the secular culture today pressing into the body of Christ, just like that time in Crete. And we see that it can shape some of the things within the body of Christ, here even today within the church, more than sometimes even scripture. So with that said, let's go ahead and read the section of scripture. It's chapter two, uh, and we're, we're gonna read uh, one through 10. Why don't you stand? Um, apologize, I do not have a page number for the Pew Bibles for you this morning, but let's go ahead and stand and read the word of God. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters. In everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing, but showing all good faith, so that in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. Lord, I pray that you would teach us, you would show us, you would instruct us. Um, Lord, help us to work through this section of scripture that brings you glory. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, we may not get through all of this. There's a lot of uh, challenge in these uh, scriptures here this morning. Um, so I just wanted to say that up front. I'm not sure if we will. Um, but let's go ahead and let's see what Paul has for us here. So the chapter begins with a call. And I'm going to title this message, Living Right for the Sake of the Gospel. And so the, the chapter begins with a call to sound doctrine, verse 1. But then from there, it's almost exclusively concerned with behavior and character. So he starts off talking about, you know, theology, but then everything else is about how we act about that theology. So it's more behavior and character. Titus 2 then ends with this beautiful theological statement in verses 11 through 14, which says that one of God's purposes in the gospel is to create a people who are a model or zealous for good works. And so uh, Chris's, uh, Pastor Chris will take us into those scriptures and beyond next week. But verse one, it says, but as for you, talking uh, to Titus, 
And this is a big transitional word, but means we got to take a look at what came before. Something's happening here, but I want you I want to change this. So it says, so it's a big transitional word such as therefore. And when we see this, we know that it's contrasting the statement before it or the section before it. And the Greek here tells us that it's a pretty hard pivot. And so he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound um, or sound doctrine or the word meaning healthy doctrine. So it could be uh, translated healthy teaching. And uh, to give you a sense of what he's really talking about here, I'm going to read a bunch of different versions here and you can grasp a little bit of what he's saying. But as for you, speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine. But as for you, communicate the behavior that goes with sound teaching. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. But as for you, speak up for the right living that goes along with true Christianity. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. And so you can see that there's a pattern here of, of actual action in it. According to David Guzik, he said the, the idea behind this phrase has to do with right living, not just right thinking. So it's not just this idea that, well, I got my theology right, I did my Bible study, we talked about it. It's actually right uh, living, carrying out the doctrine that we're learning. The Living Bible translates this, speak up for the right living that goes along with true Christianity. And the New Living Translation says, promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. So, and then he goes on to say this. He says, we can't escape it. The Bible is a book that tells us how to live. It is the height of hypocrisy to say that we believe it's truth if we ignore how it tells us how to live our lives. We don't always like it, but we always need to hear how God expects us to live. So in the, in the following verses here, Titus is giving instruction and encouraging these Christians in Crete to be different than the culture around them. And when I, you know, I read this verse, um, my mind went to the, um, the series called The Chosen. Anybody who, who's watched The Chosen? Yeah, quite a few of you. If you haven't, I really strongly encourage you there. But there's some sayings in The Chosen, some slogans that have come out of the movie itself. And um, one of them is, is get used to different. And so that's what he said, you know, get used to different. And this was a situation in, in, the, in the movie where uh, Jesus was, was calling Matthew. He was behind, he was a tax collector behind the, um, the gate there where he was taking people's um, taxes. And Peter's next to him. He's like, well, what are you doing? He's different than us. We don't, we, we don't need him. Don't you know what, know what, you know, scum he is? And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get used to different. And so, um, and then there was another one. I was one way and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. And that's Jesus. And that's what's different with us from the world. Jesus in us causing us to act differently. Amen. Amen. And so as we walk through these verses, it's very important that we grasp what Paul is instructing Titus to do here because it's an instruction to us also. Remember, we, got it, we transport ourselves, we look at the context, we look at, at who this was originally written to, and then we attach ourselves to this and see where it affects us into our lives. He's telling Titus to teach the people in the churches of Crete to live their lives in such a way that the truths of Christianity, the lived out doctrine, would be attractive to others for the sake of the gospel. 
It would bring people to Jesus. Um, if anything, it would make people curious as to why are you different? What's, how, come, how come your marriage is working? How come your kids are doing okay? Uh, what is different about you? So it's making it attractive. Uh, a quick aside to this, it's important to know that the word that uh, Paul used for teach here, um, it's not the normal one that was used for teach. The word he uses here, it's the idea of teaching while living out your life throughout the day rather than just a verbal instruction instead of just him saying, do this. But it's actually living it out. And that fits with where we're going and the action that uh, the different groups of people are supposed to be doing here. So we are to live out the gospel, our faith, our changed lives. And so the push from Paul to Timothy uh, to the Cretes and to us is this. If our lifestyle, if the way we live life fails to reflect the character of God, then in a sense what we're doing is we're, we're neutralizing our testimony. Hey, you, you, you know, oh, you should get to know Jesus and he's the greatest thing in the world. He's been the best thing in my life. He's made so many changes for me. And, and they're looking at you like, but you just, and you just talked about this person over here, but hey, I know, I know what you do. And so we neutralize the testimony. You most likely have heard of the quote from uh, Mahatma Gandhi. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Or the 19th century German philosopher Heinrich Heine said this, show me your redeemed life and I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. Ouch. So we are responding to the gospel in an active way by our lifestyle. The Christian faith is an active faith. We don't sit on a mountain and hum and do nothing. I mean, Jesus is like last words or go make disciples. And so we have this active faith. So we might ask, what's the motivation to living out the gospel, uh, this healthy gospel doctrine? Two things here. First, it's a response to God's grace towards us. God showed us a grace and we're responding to him. We find this in verses 11 to 14, which I told you Pastor Chris will pick up next week. It says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live, to live what? To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. So this is a response, it's by grace. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. So our response is responding to Jesus who did wonderful things in our life. Pastor J.D. Greer on this said this, the point cannot be emphasized enough. Christianity is not a to-do list of things to work harder on. And that's what you, we don't want to get out of this message this morning. But it's not a set of morals to master. It's not a set of rituals to adopt. From start to finish, it's a response to God's grace to us. And you know what's beautiful about these verses here and what comes out of this chapter is that this is a basic outline structure of discipleship for the local church. It's like a picture of what things can look like. It's like a multi-generational model for discipleship. 
Some people call this a, a Titus 2 ministry if we're just focusing on the women. So you could look that up. There's Titus 2 ministries or the Titus 2 uh, mandate. But it's what should be happening in a community of believers, what we're going to walk into here. What Paul is talking about here is having life together as the body of Christ. I think we do a pretty good job here at Linwood with that, but I think this can be so elevated in our lives. He's describing a living, working model of the New Testament church in action, doing life together with others within the church, the older and the younger working together uh, in, in concert with the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. It's what today we would call mentoring. Discipleship mentoring. And so um, as we walk into this, you're going to see how this looks and what this and how this works. And mentoring, what is mentoring? Mentoring is when somebody takes somebody else, offers their guidance, or you have knowledge. And of course, we have a model for this, right? Isn't it the way Jesus taught? It's the way he trained his disciples. He brought them everywhere. He lived life together with them. It wasn't, they weren't just sitting constantly at his feet and he was just lecturing them and they were falling asleep. Well, they did fall asleep a few times on the praying thing, but um, <laughs> you guys remember that, right? Uh, um, but it, living active, going from town to town, and that's how they were learning what it meant uh, to be a believer in him. Paul did the same thing with Timothy and also Titus here. Paul shared the gospel by sharing his life. Uh, and he was real. He was vulnerable. He talked about, you know, where his weaknesses uh, were. First uh, Thessalonians 2.8 is kind of a paraphrase of that. And he says, you know, I share my life with you. So what are his instructions? Okay, verses 1 through 10. Five groups that were in the church. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men and slaves or bondservants who were prevalent in that society, and therefore they were in the church. Um, so different instructions for them. Some of them are overlapping in each group. And guys, I, you know, you're gonna have to bear with me here. There are like 27 different instructions dispersed through these groups. And there's no way we have time to go all of them over all of them in depth. We're gonna read through them, spend a little more time on others, uh, on some more than others. So, anyways, maybe we should pray again. Okay, no, we'll go. So the first group Paul begins with is the old farts in the room. I, I mean the older men. And of course, that's anyone over 63. No, I'm not 62. But instructions for older men. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound, or, or sound or healthy in faith, um, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness. The NIV says, uh, teach the older man to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. And so, let's pick on the old guys. Why we typically think of what older men, you know, kind of uh, sometimes being wiser, more mature, uh, stronger in faith, um, you know, those that get up in, in the year, sometimes they really doesn't fit those expectations, right? And the hope is that with, that with the passage of time, experience of life, we gain wisdom. At the old sage, we, could, we just have so many good things to say. But it was pretty interesting, and everywhere I turned, and kind of studying this section of scripture here, 
Um, it was always said or assumed that the default to becoming older was to become cyn critical, cynical, cranky, negative, or even lazy. And, um, you know, I had to chuckle because that is one of my greatest fears is to become a cranky, old, grumpy man. And, and, and why it scares me because I have tendencies. I do. Tired and hungry, grumpy. Coming out of surgery and healing, grumpy. And then some days I just wake up depressed. I just wake up and I'm grumpy for that day. And Aaron looks at me and go back to bed. No, anyways. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm afraid I'm going to like own one of these t-shirts. We'll show you. I never dreamed that one day I'd become a grumpy old man, but here I am killing it. So, <laughs> so guys, that's not what we want, okay? Uh, it doesn't have to be this way. And, and, and I know, um, you know, I know that you know and I know wonderful older gentlemen full of life's wisdom as well as, well as women to pass on to the next generation. They're right here in this room. We have wonderful older men, older than me, that are carrying on what it looks like to have these qualities in their life. And those are the guys we want to, younger guys you want to seek out. Um, so older guys want to work on these things, all right? Ultimately, the message is don't stop. You have a lot to give. Pass it along to the next generation of believers. Let's look at Paul's instructions to older men, how they are to be uh, and live in order to pass on to the next generation. So let's go through those, that list a little bit. Some of them are self-explanatory. Others I'll just kind of touch on. So I'll go, hopefully I can get through them quickly. Older men are to be sober-minded or temperate, means avoiding extravagance or overindulgence in any area. A temperate person, uh, keeps things in balance within limits. Dignified or worthy of respect comes from a term that usually refers to people or things that are majestic. So, you guys walk, the older guys, just be majestic, okay? <laughs> I don't know if that's majestic. On the negative side, though, it means to avoid becoming frivolous, trivial, tedious, or superficial. So, on the positive, a dignified person is worthy of respect. Self-controlled, sensible. Uh, it means moderate, prudent, modest, restrained, and disciplined. And it's the only term where, where um, the apostle applies this to both genders and every age. So everybody, self-controlled and sensible. Got it? Okay. Uh, sound in faith, it's literally wholesome in faith. Sound in love refers to a healthy agape love, which is other-focused, exercising of the will kind of love, best shown to us by Jesus. Sound in steadfastness or endurance in the ESV. So um, it's a, the Greek word here is, is a profoundly significant Greek word, uh, and it embodies the very essence of spiritual maturity. It means a steadfast and active endurance, not a passive waiting. Older men are not to just patiently wait around until they pass on to the next world. They are to actively endure the challenges of life, even the challenges of, of old age. And we know that, you know, most of the... Uh, Old Testament patriarchs and heroes, man, they started living it up when they were older, Caleb and Moses and so on. They didn't wait till they be 85, so um, they just, you know, they just kept going and they were living life and living it well, passing on their faith, doing what God wanted them to do. So the charges don't ever stop, finish strong. You know, my father-in-law, 
um, Aaron's dad. He's 95 years old, and, um, and he's, he's moving here actually in a month or two from California, poor guy. And uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's been what, 14 years, I'm still not over it myself. But anyways, he's coming out here. But you know, every morning he, he gets up and he goes out to his balcony, because he can do that every morning. And, and he prays, he prays for his family. Um, he is in a Bible study in midweek at church. He's a, he's a deacon at the church. And so, man, he's, you know, he's like a hero. And uh, so you guys will get to meet him here hopefully soon. And um, we can't wait for him to get here. So next instructions for, for older women. Won't do anything with the age thing there, okay. Um, happy Mother's Day, guys. All right. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are, teach, they are to teach what is good. Now, I noticed here, this is very interesting, that the whole sober thing um, or slaves to much wine is only talked about with the older men, the older women, the younger men, but not the younger women. I don't know if it has to do with maybe running a household, having kids, maybe a job, a husband, and that. So anyway, you can draw the conclusions there. Um, not saying anything. So Paul uses some different terms, but also says likewise. And so it's suggesting like some of the same things that he talked about the older men, they're gonna kind of come into where, with the older women. Um, so, rever so reverent, much like the men's dignified and worthy of respect, that comes from a Greek word meaning fitting for the temple. One commentator said this, the idea of reverence suggests that a person by her conduct demonstrates that she belongs to God and that her life has been reserved for worshiping him. Pretty cool. Pretty cool, ladies. Not slanderers or being truthful. It's a very, very strong word. The word slanderers is the same word used for devils, the devil, diablos. So when the older woman or anybody else, for that matter, slanders or gossips, this word is used and they are doing whose work? They're not doing God's work, they're doing the devil's work. That's another ouch. So, reverent, not slanders but truthful, or slaves to much wine, self-explanatory, don't get sloshed. Um, they are to teach what is good. So older women um, were to be good Teachers, and who are they being good teachers to? Younger women, as we will see, right? And so God can use their life, their wisdom, their experience to teach the young women. So we transition, so we're gonna transition here to what they're going to teach the younger women. Um, there's no potential landmines here in these verses at all. Um, but uh, let's see what we come up with. Okay, younger women, your turn, are you ready? Sit up. Instructions for young women. Remember here, first off, that Paul is not instructing Titus to teach these things. Very interesting. But he's instructing the older women to pass and teach these things. Okay? Seven traits. Some, once again, self-explanatory. Other ones we're going to dig into a little bit more. So, 
They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So here we go. So we train the younger women, verse 4, to love their husbands and to love their children. Now that's kind of, do you read that? Do you just go, oh, nobody, isn't that kind of weird to you? They have to be trained to do this? Well, here's the deal. Always, when you read scripture, look in context, see what was going on. We kind of talked about that church there. There was some weird stuff being going on. There was some weird stuff being taught and brought into the church by these false teachers. And some of it had to do with this of leaving and isolating. Um, and so um, it was just weird. And so he's talking to um, the, young, the young women here, or the older women to talk to the younger women is like, no, no, you need to work on loving your husbands, work on loving your children. That's what God wants you to do. Um, number, uh, next one, number three, was next uh, is to be self-controlled, verse five. We see that for all groups, um, so that's nothing different. Number, the next thing was pure. And it comes from the Greek word hagnos, which means is usually translated holy. So there's a lot of things that are being passed on to uh, the younger women. And then number five, uh, workers at home. Now this can throw some people. Um, writing on this in his commentary on Titus, Chuck Swindoll said this, Paul did not write this to prohibit women from working outside the home. We see in the New Testament that's that uh, some such as Lydia, Priscilla, uh, Phoebe, and Junia worked and traveled and had influential leadership roles in ministry. And so we have too many examples of this happening. So let's kind of continue to work through this. Many feel that the best rendering uh, is the NRSV uh, of this rare Greek word that is used. I won't even try to pronounce it. Um, but it means it's, it's good managers of the household. And the, the term here the noun um, also means, so is homemaker, but this is what it translates to. It's picturing a woman, all right, in the same sense as, you know, Proverbs 31, the crown jewel of women described in Proverbs 31. Don't get into the pile, guys. Don't get into the pile here, okay. But that woman, she is powerful, industrious, resourceful, resourceful partner to her husband, fully engaged in cultivating her family's well-being, taking care of that household, and building a family legacy. You know, my wife's not in here. Uh, she's watching the kids right now. And um, I think she, she's, she's the Proverbs 31 woman, if I may say so myself. She is a, a good manager of the household. She's a homemaker. She shows love to me. She manages, as I already said this, our household. She counsels. Uh, other women. She mentors younger women and others. She is a mother and she's a grandmother. She's raised children. She has owned and cultivated three different businesses. She has worked professionally in the commercial design world and she has partnered with me in ministry for over 25 years. And, um, and so I see a picture of what this, what this can look like. Um, for me, it's front and center. Um, it's my wife and I'm proud of her. Happy Mother's Day, girl. The Finnish one commentator said this, that Paul is not putting Cretan Christians, and for that matter, current Christians, under marital house arrest. But as the NRSV recognizes, it's calling them to diligence in and full 
attention to the ordering of household matters. So there is a job to be done there. There is no denying that God has given moms a particular responsibility in the home. And she has given the husband particular responsibilities as a husband. And one of those things is in the home and taking care of that household. Okay, next section is to be kind. So, be nice, ladies. All right, boom, done, got that one. Okay, uh, and to be subject to their husbands. And so this is the next fun part of this scripture here. Nick? Yeah. Why? Why am I doing this? I do the short straw, okay, all right. So what does that mean? But so much can be said about this. But when it's fully understood, it is amazing. It's, it's beautiful and it's God's perfect plan. Um, I can't you know, dig in really deep, but I'm gonna say a few things here. First, we have to realize that marriage is a partnership with two people, right? Assigned with different roles given by God. And, and the, the husband does his part according to uh, Ephesians 5 by doing what? He loves his wife like Christ loves the church, which means putting her wants and needs ahead of his own to the point that he would lay down his life for her. So he's loving her sacrificially, Jesus being the example, a servant leader. He is to love and care for her as if she um, were his own body, nourishing her and cherishing her. Guys, figure out what it means to cherish your wife. If you get that, you, yeah, that, that's, that's gold star material, okay? Gold star material in a marriage, but cherish in your life. As Dennis Rennie has said it, it means making her load lighter, not heavier. It means helping her develop and utilize her gifts and abilities. It means loving her sacrificially, and we find all these things in Ephesians 5. Guys, what our job here is to do is to help this, this thing of a woman submitting or in, in, in translation, subject to. We set the table for our wives. If you learn to love and to lead like this, then being subject or submitting is not even an issue uh, for your wife. We spend a lot of time in our premarital classes, you know, with our premarital couples, you know, going and walking through this. And it's so important uh, for the young wife to walk in with a proper, healthy, biblical perspective. Ladies, if you are married, you are called to this. Listen to this. The structure here is such that submission is to be a voluntary response of the wife's heart that flows out of her greater submission to God's ordained plan for the home. You are called to it uh, to do your part. Let me continue by saying this. Supporting your husband, being subject or submissive to his leadership is a choice to compliment him. I mean, right in the beginning, God knew us guys, we needed some help. We needed a helper. We needed to be completed. And so we, the compliment, it does not mean that you are inferior. It does not mean that you lose your identity. 
It doesn't mean that you, you set aside your gifts, you ignore your gifts. It means cooperating with your husband as he seeks to lead your marriage and family. And so it's a choice. You make the choice to do this. And it says in the book, Preparing for Marriage, and when a husband and wife are fulfilling these roles in marriage, they honor God, they glorify him, which is one of the purposes of the institution of marriage. All right, so background. What does this look like? What does this practically look like? Well, if you can think of a marriage kind of as a dance, okay, a couple moving as, as partners in step with one another, and if they're fulfilling the roles, it's a beautiful dance, and it works, okay? The husband leads by loving his wife like Christ loves the church, puts her wants and needs ahead, lays down his life for her. She responds to this sacrificial loving servant leadership by voluntarily submitting to his leadership, which is a divine calling from God and direction from the Lord. And so when it's playing out in a marriage, um, I agree with what J.D. Greer said when, you know, when discussion, uh, what, what he had to say about this. He said, in fact, I love my wife like Christ loves the church. If I love my wife like Christ loves the church, I will voluntarily lose nine out of 10 arguments about preference because I'm always putting her needs and wants above mine. Ultimately for me, you know, um, you know, my marriage to Aaron means so much, uh, you know, I don't need to get my way on those minimal things. I mean, really, I'm just talking about me. Who cares, right? Now, with big things, we have, right? Okay. And that's how our marriage works. We're coming up on our 40th wedding anniversary. And um, we were talking about this. Like, what is, you know, uh, she knew I was teaching on this. Is, what does this look like? You know, I really can't remember. We were, I can't remember a time where we got to a point where I had to put my foot down, so to speak, and make the final decision. I, we know there are some in there. Um, uh, and of course, you know, uh, yeah, they, those things come up. We just, we just couldn't remember because of this dance and realizing where God put us. And so we talk about these things and not into minutia because there's a lot of things like, hey, well, whatever you want, that's fine, that's cool. I mean, I really don't care. I just want the marriage to be right. And uh, for her, she, you know, she defers to me like, okay, that's fine, just go ahead, you know, and it's like, hmm. So we have this mutual thing going on. You know, I, I defer stuff to her taking care of the home, um, you know, as she is instructed to. She's very smart, she's intelligent, she can handle all that stuff, and I don't need to be in the minutia with her uh, on, on those things. Um, my marriage is more important than that. Now, I may give my opinion, right? Maybe too much. Um, but I'm just that way. I'm an opinion. I see something, I, I remark on it, and I go, oh, you know, okay. So that's a part, a little bit of, of our dance here. But, you know, I don't stay there with it. So we talk about it, we defer to one another. Um, but we take seriously also the command in Ephesians 21 says, submit to one another. Submit to one another out of the reverence uh, of Christ. And, and even in, in Ephesians, it talks about, you know, for the women submitting to. Uh, Submitting to your husband as unto the Lord. So everything is wrapped up uh, within honoring God in this. Okay. 
So what is the reason Paul gives this, these instructions here? Why all this? With all that said, we cannot forget the why. He, and he very conveniently tells us, the why Titus is to teach what accords to sound doctrine. The why older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. The why older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. Why is it? So that. You're going to see that so that three times in this section of Scripture. So that the Word of God may not be reviled. You're different, folks. Great Christians, you are different. We don't want the Word of God to be reviled here or in the NIV so that no one will malign the Word of God. All right, so now, time to shift. Younger men, you thought you were out of this, right? No. Not a whole lot here, but there's enough. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled or sober-minded, okay? So Paul keeps using this likewise, uh, which is a linking word again. It's linking to all those things he's already talked about, even with the older men, the older women, and the, and the younger um, women. I think I got that right. And it shows that what the young men need to learn isn't all that different from what they are. We may need a, a slightly different emphasis depending on where you are in your life and your station in, in life. But basically, the whole message of, of godly living uh, is the same. And so to be sober-minded, uh, the, the Living Bible translates it this way. Urge the young men to behave carefully, taking life Seriously, it's interesting that this is the only command Titus is told to emphasize to young men. But I think it takes, in, uh, it encompasses so much. But Paul is not done. He does have more for the young men. And what he does is he uses Titus here to help uh, teach the young men. So he continues his instruction by using um, him as a practical example. Verses 7 and 8. Show yourself, Titus, okay, in all respects to be a model of good works. So you're supposed to model this. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that, here's another so that, an opponent may be put uh, to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And so first, Titus is charged to not just teach, but in all respects, he's supposed to be an example to these young men. And the reason so that, that um, the word cannot be condemned. So modeling, integrity, dignity, sound speech. And so we come to the reason again. This lost my, my place. How's that? <laughs> Rewind. The reason for all this instruction to this body and to us was to protect the gospel and not only counter the false teachers but to produce a healthy church community that is to be different in the culture around them which in turn was to what? The result was to further the gospel that it would keep moving forward. He says once again, and I already mentioned it, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. What are they going to say? I mean, look at them. 
Look at how the men act. Look how they are, the old men, the women, the young women, their marriages. They have nothing to say against them. Okay, let's reel this thing in. Application. Um, I don't think I'm going to have enough time to get to the last part of it. Um, the uh, uh, slaves and bond servants. Um, I just quickly on that, the, what was interesting in that time is that um, the bond servants and the slaves, they, they had duties as Christians. Um, they were in the church. You know, half the population, at least half, I don't know what the full numbers of the Roman Empire was slaves. Um, Three-fourths of the population of Athens was slaves. And uh, the instructions that Paul is giving to them in that situation that they were, that they were in had to do with them being in a church. So, uh, you know, the Christians there, uh, the people uh, outside of the church, man, they had to be shocked because uh, they, there, was, there was the slaves and masters both in the church, okay? They were in this social setting of a church service. And that also meant that a slave uh, might go to church and, and be one that could be an elder over his own master. I mean, it was that radical in it. So, um, real quickly, the bond servants to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, uh, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine. So they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Most of the commentaries, they kind of push this into and say, okay, what's the... What's current here for us? And they, they talk about the the employee-employer relationship. Okay, um, I mean you can make that jump. I mean the things that are that are are spoken here, what what they're supposed to do. Um, eh, I'm not so sure myself, but um, but you can think in that situation of uh, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not stealing things, but showing all good faith uh, uh, to them. So, okay. So I did touch on it. So in Titus two. Paul and combating the influences of the world and these false teachers that were coming in. He's seeking to show us this community which is working in a symbiotic relationship of discipleship, okay? Uh, the discipleship model that helps protect the church from false teachers and the wrong influences of the world because we're communicating, we're talking, uh, truth is being passed on to one another. And so that helps create healthy disciples. And it comes down to a community of believers willing willing to pour into each other's life. And so that's a question for us. Am I willing to be poured into? Am I willing to pour into somebody else? So what does that look like? Nick, you can go ahead and come up. It looks like this. Older men and older women. Teaching younger men and younger women. Younger people seeking out the advice of older people and older people setting an example to younger people. Tim Chester in his commentary said, if you are young, find somebody to disciple you. If you are old, find somebody to disciple. If you consider yourself somewhere in between, then do both. Then do both. And can I tell you that in many ways that this is happening here at Linworth, um, and, um, you know, 
I'm proud of you guys, you know, to see this happening, but we can do so much more, so much more. One of the thrusts in moving forward of the men's ministry, and I know even of the women's ministry, is to help facilitate mentor relationships and getting the um, generations together. And so we hope to see more of it in the future by helping to facilitate and train in that. Um, folks, we need each other, don't we? Doesn't matter how old we are, doesn't matter what our marital status is or how long we've been known the Lord. And, and I would say even here, you know, some of this is, you know, younger women or, or, you know, if you're single, you think, well, all these instructions about being married and everything like that. No, there's so much more here for you. You can pour into so many uh, people's lives, even as a single person. God has designed us in such a way that we need healthy, intentional relationships to help to be and to strengthen and equip us for each session of our life. Life-to-life -life relationships, fueled by the Holy Spirit, grounded in His Word, and enabled by God's grace. Amen? Amen.
you're doing here uh, in the lives of, of all of us. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit in us to, to guide us and direct us. And um, You know, after today's message, I just want to challenge you guys a little bit to, um, is to begin to think about opening your life to somebody else, right? Pray about who God, you know, might bring into your life to walk alongside of. Um, you might want to just approach them and ask them. Uh, doesn't have to be a lifelong endeavor. I've uh, come alongside uh, many um, young men, and it's just for a short season. Um, and I'll tell you that one of the blessings of, of mentoring and being involved in somebody's life is it's always that you always get so much more out of it than what they do. Because God continues to teach us until we're with him we're on this journey of being taught by him and God can use a uh, an older man or a younger man an older woman or a younger woman uh, in your life to encourage you and to help you to grow so I hope our, uh, we continue on and, and we uh, are 
hoping to create some opportunities for some mentoring to take place, and uh, we hope that you take advantage of that. So let me go ahead and um, raise your hands for a blessing, if you're comfortable. Uh, my favorite, number 624. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Mothers, have an amazing, amazing today. Eat way too much food and too much sugar. There you go.